Hey guys, welcome along to Skim Me Up Body. I'm your host, Rodney Stewart. Right, in this episode we're getting into arguably the best Star Trek movie of all time. In fact, I think you would be hard-pressed to find someone that doesn't enjoy this movie. You know, in all honesty, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, is one of those films that... Even someone who's not a fan of Star Trek or the Star Trek movies, you know, a complete newcomer, could sit down, watch this film, and enjoy it. It's just so flipping good and so entertaining. Um, after the motion picture was released, and it wasn't as big a success as they were hoping that it would be. This film was actually suffered from a lower budget than the original. And the original, the budget for this movie was only twelve million dollars back in nineteen eighty two. I want to say um, that was simply because of just I don't want to say the motion picture was bad, but it definitely compared to later Star Trek. Definitely wasn't the best in the notes. It is, even as a, a fan of the movies and the series, even I find the motion picture hard work at times. It just it drags on so much. Uh, this film doesn't. It uh, takes a, a moment to get going, but once it starts, it's flipping fantastic. Um, after the, the first film was so bad, the series creator, Gene Roddenberry, was forced out of the sequel's production altogether. Like I think he's only in there as like an associate producer or something. He had he was very hands on with the first movie and the the studio just didn't want that for the second one. Uh, it was rooting. There's a new word for you. <laughs> uh, it was directed by Nicholas Meyer, produced by Robert Stalin, screenplay by. Jack B. Sorrows, story by Harv Bennett, Jack B. Sorrows, and uh, the final script was uh, finished in just 12 days, I want to say. Um, while doing research here for the, the script, that I went through like five different variations of the script before they landed on the, the final script, and the final script for this movie is actually like four or five different scripts rolled into one. You know, the best elements of all three or four, whatever came before it. And uh, the writer didn't even take, uh, Mayor didn't even take a writing credit for it at the end. And uh, I think that's a bit of a mistake for this, as, as I say probably the best Star Trek movie in history. Like for me it is a close call between this one and Star Trek 3 The Search for Spock. I love both those movies but this one here may just push that boundary just a little bit further. Um, it was released in North America June 4th 1982. It was a huge box office success earning 97 million worldwide. Now that, by today's standards, 
doesn't sound like much like your average budget for a big action blockbuster would be well above that these days but considering that there was only a 12 million dollar budget handed out to the movie and the studios didn't have great faith that it would do any better than the original one for this to come back this you know this film got the same reaction that the motion picture did I think Star Trek would have finished there and then at least as far as the movies go but anyway in the actual movie itself it's 2285 and uh, Admiral Kirk is overseeing the simulator session of Captain Spock's trainees Captain Spock is the captain of Enterprise at the beginning of this in uh, the simulation Lieutenant Savick commands the Enterprise and the rescue mission to save the crew of the damaged ship Kobayashi Maru that's the Kobayashi Maru test and uh, it's a no one scenario it's designed basically as for the trainees to fail it's, it's uh, a test of character more than if they can succeed in a mission what would they do in the no one scenario so of course they feel miserably and uh, Kirk comes on the bridge of the simulator enterprise and uh, Savick questions why that's a fair test you know there's no way to get out of it and you know, he just pretty much explains, you know, it's, it's a no-one situation, you know, it's, it's your character here, blah, blah, blah. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the Starship Reliant is on a mission for a lifeless planet to test the Genesis device, a technology designed to reorganise dead matter into inhabitable planets. Uh, Reliant officers Pavel Chekhov and Captain Terrell they beam down onto a planet that they think is SETI Alpha 6 which is basically almost 100% lifeless except for some spores that they've found but uh, this Genesis torpedo that their Starfleet is going to introduce as a test on this planet can only be done if it's 100% lifeless so they have to go down uh, Chekhov and Terrell make the argument if it's a life form that can be transplanted from one planet to the other you know if we remove it the planet will be lifeless and we can go ahead with the experiments but when they get down onto the planet they're captured by Khan Nunian Singh yes flipping class <laughs> years earlier Kirk exiled Khan and his fellow Superman to Seti Alpha 5 after they attempted to take over Enterprise in the original series episode Space Seed um, I had to think about that for a second Space Seed, it was a lot of years after seeing the Raph of Khan that I actually got a chance to sit down and watch Space Seed uh, absolutely flippin' brilliant and uh Ricardo Montalban as Khan is absolutely fantastic. He plays it up so well in this movie. And uh, they capture Chekhov and Terrell. And uh, he explains 
who he is, he introduces himself basically like Chekhov recognizes him as Khan and Khan falls in Terrell pretty much in the backstory of what happened and uh, Chekhov is arguing the point that you know you were a guest on Enterprise and you repaid Captain Kirk's hospitality by trying to take over a ship and kill him and uh, in Space Seed you get to see all that at the end of the episode they're, they're put in trial and Kirk basically just drops him off on this planet and leaves and, and they're off a can we found out that he never came back to check on him and uh, check off is like you know on SETI Alpha 5 you had a a decent chance for survival the planet was alive and thriving and Khan drops the bombshell that this isn't SETI Alpha 6 this is SETI Alpha 5 SETI Alpha 6 exploded a few months after they were dropped off and knocked SETI Alpha 5 out of orbit and uh, laid everything to waste and they have been surviving there ever since so he is it's like 15 years since this all happened and he's just been building up the hatred towards Kirk through the whole thing so uh, then the crazy wee creature that he takes that's that's young out and puts him under the ears of Chekhov and Terrell they can the way he explains it is they render the victims susceptible to suggestions so he's going to use these pair as puppets for his plan to capture Kirk uh, so they capture Alliant start their plan learning that the genesis device can attacks space station regular one where the device is being developed by Kirk's former lover Dr. Carol Marcus and her son David and uh, unfortunately for Kirk Kirk doesn't know that David's his son uh, there's a great element of this movie where Kirk is hitting I don't want to say a midlife crisis because he's a bit older for that but he's feeling the the strain of getting older and uh, there's a great scene between him and McCoy McCoy comes to visit him and he gives him a pair of antique glasses and the reason that he gives them to him is because Kirk his eyesight is starting to go and he's allergic to the medication that they use to treat eyes in the, the 23rd century so McCoy gives him this set of antique glasses and he says these are for your eyes they'll make you see better and Kirk's apartment where he lives at it's full of old antiques he's collecting all this sort of stuff and McCoy realising that he's down he's like you know get your command back get yourself a ship again before you become one of these antiques so uh, we find out what's happened the space station's been attacked and uh, Enterprise is dispatched to go check it out so when he gets to the ship of course Spock being Spock is like you know what you're the 
the most experienced officer in the ship. You're the, you're the highest ranked, so I give you enterprise, give you command of enterprise. And Kirk's kind of like, you know, you don't need to do that sort of thing. So I think he's learned from what happened in the motion picture a little bit. He's maturing a good bit. But uh, Spock is like, you know, the, the needs of the, the many outneed the the needs of the money outweigh the needs of the one sort of deal so Captain Kirk well Admiral Kirk takes control of Enterprise one more, once more uh, off they go Enterprise is ambushed and crippled by their alliance and Khan offers to spare Kirk's crew if they relinquish, relinquish all material related to the Genesis project Kirk instead stalls for time and remotely lowers reliance shields enabling a computer attack that's a great little scene in the movie when uh, Kirk's trying to pull off this little stunt to get reliant to drop her shields and uh, he's all embarrassed when at one point he has to take the antique glasses out of his pocket and put them on so he can actually see what's happening <laughs> that's great uh, so they manage the attack Reliant Khan is forced to retreat and get repairs done. Uh, when Enterprise lumps to regular one, Kirk McCoy and Savick beam to the station and find Terrell and check off alive. Uh, most of the other scientific members of the space station have been slaughtered. Uh, they find Carol and David hiding Genesis deep inside a nearby nearby planetoid Khan having used Terrell and Chekhov as spies orders them to kill Kirk over the intercom which is another flippin' fantastic thing about this movie and I had watched it for years without even re really realising it until one night I'm sitting watching it and we get to the end of the movie and I'm like do you know what Khan and Kirk are never at one point on screen together like literally physically in the same room together never happens throughout the production of this movie and that's really the, you know Star Trek and Star Trek you're just that used to people talking over the communicators or on view screens and whatnot that's just second nature watching the show and the movies and then whenever you think this guy has been waiting for 15 years to kill Kirk finally gets his chance and everything that happens throughout the movie never once do they actually meet face to face that's either over intercoms or view screens uh, unreal uh, when uh, Chekhov and Terrell are ordered to kill Kirk they're they're able to fight back against the mind control because they're like you know we're Starfleet officers we can't we can't do this sort of thing so Terrell actually ends up turning his phaser on himself at the full kill setting and vaporizes himself and before the same thing happens Chekhov he actually passes out from this little creature in his ear and luckily for him when he passes out at the size to just drop out of his ear and clear way off somewhere <laughs> Kirk brings out the phaser wipes it out and gets on the intercom and he's like you know what you've can you failed i'm still here i'm still alive you're gonna to have to come down here and get me 
and can he's like you know I've, I've done much better than that I've hurt you and I want to continue hurting you so I'm just going to essentially bugger off and leave you the way you left me on a dead rock in the middle of a space and then you get that that quote that just everyone knows from can Kirk screaming down the communicator can and then it cuts to a shot outside in space and you hear can <laughs> echoing throughout the void <laughs> um They then, I left a huge gap there, sorry about that guys. Uh, Cam transports the, the Genesis device onto a ship, and uh, but he's tricked by Kirk and Spock's coded arrangements for a rendezvous. Kirk directs Enterprise and a nearby nebula. Conditions inside the nebula render shields useless and compromise targeting systems making Enterprise and Reliant evenly matched and Spock notes that Khan's tactics indicate an experience in three dimensional combat which Kirk exploits to disable the Reliant that's a big jump right there like there's a, a whole sequence within the, the asteroid where the, they're showing what the Genesis device is capable of doing like inside this lifeless asteroid there's like a huge cavern and there's just there's there's wildlife and there's flowers and there's fruit and you know food in abundance and uh, they're trapped there for a little while but over the communicators Spock and Kirk are making things sound a lot worse for Enterprise and what they are you know what's going to you know, Spock's telling him it's going to take like two days for repairs and whatnot, and uh, and the actual actual fact, it's two hours that they're going to have to wait. So that throws Can off a little bit. He thinks he's got more time than what he actually has. And Kirk realizes he gets the bombshell that uh, David is in fact his son. So uh, it's it's a nice change for Kirk's story in this movie where at the beginning he's feeling as he's getting old, he's getting close to the end of his career and he hasn't done anything really cement in his personal life, he's, he's kind of feeling like you know once he's gone that's it, there's going to be no continuation on but now that he found out that he has a son he's you know kind of chilling out a little bit better so eventually they manage to get beamed off the rock on the Enterprise and then they have the first real combat situation between Enterprise and Reliant in space. There was also a nephew of Scotty's on Enterprise that was a brand new ensign engineer and he actually gets killed in one of the combat situations on the the Enterprise and there's a, a heart-wrenching sequence where Scotty turns up on the bridge of the Enterprise and he's holding his dead nephew in his arms but it never really goes any further than that and I was always kind of weirded out by that one I thought there would be a little bit more involved in that emotional 
uh, side for Scotty in the movie, but they don't really go any further than that. Um, so they they get under the nebula. They're followed by Reliant, and they're on the uh, pretty much a a level playing field at this point because you know shields don't work, scanners are useless. They're going to have to depend on their their wits and just you know manual aiming and all that sort of stuff and uh, Reliant actually gets oh gosh I'm trying to think does Reliant get the first shot in, in this situation I think it does uh, but Enterprise shortly after gets a couple good shots with two photon torpedoes and uh, a phaser blast that takes out the one of the nacelles on the Reliant and blows out its what I can only describe as you know the the control centers of the ship really leaving it pretty much disabled in space. So of course Kirk tells Ahura to you know signal Reliant to surrender and be boarded and uh, a mortally wounded can on the Reliant activates the Genesis device which will reorganize all matter in the nebula including the Enterprise he's, he's like at the end of the movie he's you know if I'm going out I'm taking the whole damn lot he's with me uh, though uh, Kirk's crew detects the activation and attempts to move out of range they'll not be able to escape the nebula in time without the the ship's inoperable warp drive. That's been knocked out, of course. Enterprise is taking a huge hammer by the end of the movie. They've only got impulse power to escape on. That's not going to happen. So Spock disappears off the bridge to restore the warp warp power in the, the engine room, which is flooded with radiation. McCoy tries to stop him getting in, and, uh, you know, there's too much radiation in there. You're not going to survive it. And uh, Spock is just kind of like straight away, and I just I knew it was far too quick. He's like, perhaps you're right. You know what's the condition, the Mister Scott? He's out cold on the floor at this point. And as McCoy turns, looks at Scotty, and he's about to tell Spock what happens. Out comes the Vulcan neck pinch. Yep, first time we've seen it in the movies, and. He knocks McCoy out, he drops to the floor, and uh, he puts his... Now, interestingly enough, and I only discovered this about five years ago, and I was doing, you know, I'm a, a pretty bit much a, a nerd at the end of the day, uh, that uh, quick Vulcan mind meld before... Spock goes to repair the warp drive. Uh, that wasn't actually scripted. Leonard Nimoy wasn't huge on the idea of getting into a whole load of Star Trek movies. He only agreed to come back for Star Trek 2 because they promised him that they would give Spock a good emotional death in the movie. But while they were filming in this sequence, uh, the director, uh, Nicholas Meyer, 
said to Nimoy, is like, you know what? Could you do something here at this point? Whenever McCoy drops to the floor and you get the gloves, could you do something here that'll kind of leave a back door just in case? So, uh, call to action, played it through. You know, you can't go in there. There's too much radiation sparks. Like, you know, maybe you're right. What's Mr. Scott's condition? And he does the pinch on McCoy. He drops to the floor. And as Spock lifts the gloves, he puts the hand on McCoy's face. And he says, remember. And that was it. That wasn't in the script. That was on the spot as they were doing it. Which was an epic bit of genius. <laughs> I, I love that part. Uh, he goes into the reactor chamber. Lifts off the, the dome of some part of the the engine and there's just this beam of light shooting up under his face and he's got the arm on there and he's like pulling out stuff and he's doing this that and all and uh, eventually warp drive they get the notification on the bridge warp drive restored Kirk calls the the order you know get us out of here they hit the warp engines as the Genesis device explodes on Reliant wiping out the nebula and uh, then Kirk gets the the call on the intercom from uh, McCoy he's like uh, you need to get down here be quick and of course he gets the engine room he separated this big pane of glass and Spock's dying and they've got their their final moment together where they you know they go where they you know, the needs of the, the many outweigh the needs of the one sort of a thing. And I always have been and always shall be your friend. And then he does the, uh, the Vulcan salute on the glass. And Kirk touches his hand over there between the glass. It's a, a very, very uh, emotional moment for a Star Trek fan. And then, of course, Spock passes away. And then we get the... The funeral sequence where they're loading the torpedo tube under the launcher with uh, the Starfleet flag across it and Spock's bodies on there and they shoot him out on the space. And uh, at the end of the movie we're seeing the new planet that the Genesis device has made. Which for me watching the movie was kind of like... Mm. That's, that's, that's weird that there, there wasn't like the whole idea of the Genesis device is what they needed a dead planet for this thing to you know rearrange into a, a life given planet but they only had a nebula there's no planet there where the heck did the Genesis planet come from but science fiction groovy uh, groovy that's a word I don't use often and probably never all again <laughs> but at the end of the movie you know it's like Carol, she's, you know, how are you feeling? And Kirk's like, young, I'm feeling young. And uh, that's just, uh, at the end of the movie, Kirk is, even though he's lost one of his best friends in the face of the planet, he has gained himself a son and feels that, you know, after he's gone, because of David, there's going to be, the bloodline will continue, sort of a deal. 
And then we close out the movie and we have a voiceover from Spock doing the, you know, space, the final frontier, these are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Just a beautiful, beautiful way to end off that film. Absolutely, absolutely loved it. Now, I did hear rumours about why uh, William Shatner and Ricardo Montalban were never on screen together, and that's 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 hearsay, really. When uh, Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan was in production, they were also in two different series as well. Uh, William Shatner was the star of T.J. Hooker, which is a fantastic police show. If you haven't seen that, you need to go and check it out at some point. Um, Ricardo Montalban was on Fantasy Island, I want to say. I could have the name, the title of that show wrong. I, th- I believe it's Fantasy Island. So they were kind of jumping between their shows and coming to film on Star Trek and people were saying that they just never crossed paths during production of the the movie which is why they're never on set together from the film it's all over you know communicators and view screens and whatnot but there is if memory serves there was a promotional photograph for the Raph of Khan and it had the two of them in it and it was the the set within the the dead asteroid where the the Genesis tests were done. So who knows? Um, I also did hear rumours that there was a scene between the two of them where they actually fought each other, and that was cut because of just time. But I, I don't think that that's correct. Like I, I think you know if, if that had been the case, that may have been put back into the movie as part of the director's cut. The director's cut is far better than the theatrical release. There's not much added in there, but what they have added in there just it enhances it just ever so slightly. So I like it so much better than the theatrical release. Um, this is definitely, without a doubt, bar Star Trek Free. This has to be the best Star Trek movie that I enjoy. Uh, Star Trek The Search for Spock so much there was chat too of the title of this movie changing quite a bit Um, I'm not even going to try and attempt to look it up now but I do believe at one point the film was going to be called Star Trek The Wrath not The the Revenge of Khan if memory serves and they fell off that idea because around about the same time uh, again this is hearsay I'm not sure if the dates match up but of course part five, part 6 of the Star Wars trilogy uh, Return of the Jedi at one point was supposed to be called Revenge of the Jedi and they were knocking about the idea of the Revenge of Khan and they thought no it's going to be too similar to the Revenge of the Jedi, so they changed it to the Wrath of Khan. Now again, that's hearsay, I could be completely wrong on that there, but I do believe I did hear that somewhere along the line. And uh, also, when 
they were talking about making this film. It was originally called Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan. There wasn't the Star Trek 2, well, the, the Roman numerals, you know. It wasn't called Star Trek 2 because they wanted to, because of how the motion picture performed, they wanted to, and it sounds weird to say it, because it's two films with the title Star Trek within the title, so it's, it's obviously a sequel to it, but someone in the higher-ups in the studio was like, no Star Trek to just call it Star Trek, the Wrath of Khan. We want to, you know, distance this as far as we can from the original movie. Sounds absolutely ridiculous, but that's producers for you. They're a pain in the arse. <laughs> um, but no, eventually they went with Star Trek 2. There was also rumours that because of the performance of the motion picture that... Uh, Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan was going to be released as like a a movie of the week sort of a thing released directly to television you know put out like, like a two night special sort of a thing but I can't see that been true because of the cameras and stuff that was used to make the movie it's just the way it was shot uh, those sorts of cameras wouldn't have been used for a movie that has been produced for television back then so that's probably something that was very very early on in the production before the camera started rolling because if they had have changed that after they had started filming the movie they would have had to just scrap everything and go back and start over again just because of the quality of the cameras so I think it's going to leave it right there um, I'm enjoying doing these little reviews here on the shows and the movies and whatnot, we're going to be getting hopefully into two episodes a week. I was hoping to have this episode done for Tuesday past, but I've been on holidays for two weeks now and I have just lost track of the days in a major, major way. Like, I woke up this morning, it was Friday, and I'm kind of like, I thought it was Saturday. And I stuck on the TV to watch something that I normally watch on a Saturday and there's no sign of it anywhere and I'm like where the heck is this at? Oh shit, it's, it's Friday. So my head's up my arse, having a clue what that is. And that's why this episode's out a little late. But having said that there, we're only a few episodes into this series so it doesn't matter whether it's on time or later or not because we've got no set schedule right now. But we are going to be trying to aim for at least a Tuesday and a Friday release on the show here so if you're interested in Star Trek and science fiction in general this isn't just going to be a Star Trek episode I'm here for the long game you know 10 years down the line I still intend to be putting out episodes of this show so we'll just have to see how it goes so guys hope you enjoyed it and I will talk to you in the next episode this has been a production of Coins Edge Media Check out my social media links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening.